please be seated. I will be reading uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. Ephesians chapter 2, uh, 11 through 14. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once, who once were the far off, have been brought near by, near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace. He uh, who has made us both one and has broken down in, in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility. It's certainly no secret that our country has been embroiled in controversy and turmoil over the last, not just year, but the last several years regarding the subject of racism and race relations. I listen to what's being said in society around us, and I listen to the arguments that are being made, and I never fail to go back in my mind to this. A large amount of what's being said and done regarding racism and race relations in our country has nothing to do with God. And the reason why I say that is because the arguments I see being made on any side of this issue, the arguments I see being made do not quote from Scripture, do not bring up God and His Word. They are arguments that are being made, and it's as if we just assume that there's something wrong and Everybody just ought to acknowledge that it's wrong. I believe that biblically, as Christians, we need to think about these things. And I believe that biblically, as Christians, we ought to have a voice in the community around us. When people talk about racism and when they talk about race relations, the people of God, more than anybody, ought to have something to say about that. Why do you say that, John? I say that because of the kind of God we serve. He is the God who has created all of us. He created all of us from one man. And God has done something in Christ that is unique and significant, and the world isn't paying attention to it. Therefore, the lesson this evening is entitled, Jesus, and I didn't have room for this on your handout, Jesus, the only way to racial reconciliation. Open your Bibles, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22, that's where our lesson will come from this evening. And I want to just show you a vision of the church as God sees it, what God sees in his people, what God sees in those that are made right with Christ. As you look at this particular picture of the church, I want you to keep your focus on the idea that Jesus is the way. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me, John 14, verse 6. The little girl that we talked about this morning that followed Paul around for several days said, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. It's a way of life. 
Acts chapter 16, verse 17. As a matter of fact, early Christians were called the people of the way. Because of the way they lived, it was different from everybody else, different from the world, certainly different when it came to ethnicity and culture and race types of issues. The way the early church lived was radically different, and that needs to be recaptured in the present day church. There needs to be a radical difference in the way we live and the way we treat each other from what is seen in the world around us. Because we're the people of the way, and Jesus is the way. As you look at Acts, or excuse me, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22, what I'd like for us to do this evening as we think about Jesus being the only way to racial reconciliation is this. I want us first to notice the way that the world used to be. And what Paul is dealing with in Ephesians is the distinction that was made 2,000 years ago between those who were ethnically Jews and those who were ethnically Gentiles. That was the distinction of the day 2,000 years ago. That's not as big a distinction in our society, in our communities, although that distinction sometimes gets made. But there are other distinctions, and they rhyme with what happened with the Jews and Gentiles. And so let's look first of all this evening, as we think about Jesus, the only way to racial reconciliation, about the condition of the world in which Paul lived and in which we live. Look at verses 11 and 12 of Ephesians 2. He's talking to Christians, and he's talking specifically to Gentile Christians. He's saying, remember, Gentiles, you used to be the outsiders, and now you've been brought near. Watch this. Therefore, remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time, that is before you became Christians, you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise having no hope and without God in the world. But now, he says, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. I want you to look at the condition of the world as Paul describes it. There is division. There is hostility. Notice some of the particulars and see how it rhymes with the world in which we live. The reality of division is described in a number of ways in Ephesians 2, 11 and 12. In the first place, there is labeling that takes place. Those who are called the circumcision, those who are called the uncircumcision. They are making distinctions based on the way their bodies look. They're looking at externals and they're saying, you're of that group, you're of that class, you're of that group, you're of a different class. You don't belong with us because you are not of us. There are distinctions being made and labels being given. And don't think for a minute that these are just... These are just, um, you know, sanitized labels that don't have any kind of pejorative connotation to them. No, when the Jews talked about people of the uncircumcision, they were talking about people that were unclean, that they could have no association with. And when the Gentiles talked about the Jews, those of the circumcision, they looked down their noses upon the Jews because they worshiped one God and they were different in the way that they lived. So there's labeling that takes place. It's the way the world has always been, even today. Doesn't make it right, but it's the way that the world was. Secondly, there are differing beliefs, differing worldviews, if you want to say it that way. You were separated from Christ, you Gentiles. The Philippian jailer that we talked about this morning in Acts chapter 16, what did he know about Judaism? What did he know about the Old Testament? What did he know about Christ? Nothing. 
And so when he asked, what must I do to be saved? Paul first had to explain to him who Jesus was and help him to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ so that he could be saved. His worldview had to change. But there are people all over this world and all over this country who have radically different ways of looking at life and answering questions like, what is life all about? What's meaningful? What's significant? What should I spend my time and energy and money upon? What's valuable? People are answering those questions very, very, very differently than you are in our society right now. Differing belief systems. Notice the condition of the world is further explained in Ephesians 2 verses 11 and 12. Some people are unfamiliar and unwelcome. You were alienated. You were strangers from the covenants of promise, Paul says. He's talking specifically about how the Gentiles had no part in the law of Moses. But you think about it, and it also kind of creates an us and them type of mentality. The Jews were set apart by God for a specific purpose, that they might bring Christ into the world. And the fact that the Jews were exclusive meant that there were some people that were insiders and some people who were outsiders. And certainly that describes the world in which we live as well today. I read something recently that really struck me, and I've given it a lot of thought, still thinking a lot about it. One writer said, tell me who the insiders are in your life. Tell me who the outsiders are in your life, and I'll tell you who your God is. Think about that. Tell me who the insiders are. Tell me who the outsiders are. I'll tell you who your God is. And sometimes the insiders we choose and the outsiders we choose in our lives do not reflect the heart of the one true God, the one we're talking about in Ephesians 2. Notice again in this passage, there are some people that are unfamiliar and unwelcome. Those people are not like me. Those people don't think the way I do. And you're just not, you'd be more comfortable somewhere else. That kind of attitude, that kind of mentality. That's the way the world used to be, according to Paul. Then he says there is some hopelessness involved in all this. You Gentiles were without hope. You were without God in the world. I say again, I see it on football fields, on Major League Baseball uniforms. I see all kinds of statements about how we need to end racism. I agree. I wholeheartedly believe that racism is evil and wrong. I believe the Bible teaches that truth. But we need to reason and rationalize that statement from God and who he is and from the principles that are found in God's word and what they teach. And when someone is without God and when someone is without a relationship with him, they are without hope. Their biggest problem is not how they feel about race relations. Their biggest problem is they're sinners standing before an almighty and holy creator. Hopelessness. And you kind of look at the situation in which our country finds itself and you might even say, you know, it kind of feels hopeless. I'm not really sure how we're we're going to have a way forward. And then there's this. As you look again at the passage, malice and evil suspicions. Hostility is mentioned in verse 14. Do you see that? The hostility. Some translations have the enmity. You know what enmity is? Enmity means, or hostility means, I just have a bad feeling about someone. I just have 
a bad heart when it comes to certain people or certain kinds of people and the way they look and the way they act and I just feel malicious toward that person. Malice and evil suspicions. And if you went back 2,000 years ago and you looked in a society, pick a society, any society, where both Jews and Gentiles lived, you would find all of these things. And you could go to the house of a Jewish man and you might hear some labeling and some 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 insider outsider type of language and you might hear malice and evil suspicions about the way those gentiles are and then you could go to a gentile's house and you could hear the same things being said about those jewish people over there what's the point paul is bringing all this up and talking about the reality of all these divisions because he's about to tell you something astounding he's about to tell you something amazing And the church today and the church in Katy needs to recapture what Paul's about to say. This is the way it was. This is the way things used to be, verses 11 and 12. Now, let's focus on what's changed. Look at verses 13 through 18 of Ephesians chapter 2. I would call your attention to the fact that this passage is about the work of Christ. When you look at the passage, it's all about him and what he has done. Again, I don't hear people talking about racism and talking about the distinctions that are made between people. I don't hear people reasoning about the work of Christ and how it is the solution to all of this. I don't hear that in our society very often. Do you? But this is the way the Bible argues about it. The work of Christ. And I want you to notice a couple of things before we get into the actual text. I want you to notice that the word peace in this passage is repeated over and over and over again. I also want you to notice the word reconcile, reconciliation is found in verse 16. That Jesus might reconcile both Jew and Gentile to God in one body through the cross. Peace, reconciliation, and making both one. Those three themes, peace, reconciliation, and making both, making two different groups of people into one. Those things are being found over and over in this passage. Where should my heart be as a Christian? Where should your heart be as a Christian when it comes to racism and race relations? What do we want? What do we preach about? What do we strive for and pray for and work for? We work for and strive for and pray for the things that Jesus accomplished. That's what we work for and strive for and pray for. Peace and reconciliation and two becoming one. Those are the things that are emphasized in this passage. Watch the work of Christ. The spotlight throughout this chapter is on the Lord's work, on what he's done. Watch this. It is in verse 13, the blood of Jesus that brought the Gentiles near. Nobody just looked at the world and said, you know what? It's not good that the Jews and Gentiles are separated. It's not good that they have hostility and enmity toward each other. Why don't we just get them together so that they can talk more? No, the blood of Jesus that was shed at the cross is what brought the Gentiles near. That's the reality of what happened to them. When they obeyed the gospel, the blood of Jesus is what gave them the welcome into the family of God, into the household of the Almighty. But not just that, as you look on the passage in verse 14, it is Jesus, he has made both Jews and Gentiles one. You see it? Jesus has done this, his blood, his work. He is the one who broke down the dividing wall, talking about the old covenant in verses 14 and 15. 
Back in the, law, in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, God is the one who said, you're going to be my people, Israelites. I am going to make you a holy nation, a separate nation. I'm going to give you a law. And when Jesus died on that cross, he tore down the only legitimate barrier between ethnicities that has ever existed. The only legitimate barrier that ever existed was the law of Moses and what it represented. And Jesus tore that down and all the legitimate barriers and then all the illegitimate barriers as well to unity and oneness and togetherness. All those things have been torn down. They were torn down by Jesus Christ. He broke down the dividing wall. As you continue through this passage, it is his cross, look at verses 15 and 16, that killed, some translations have put to death, the enmity or the hostility. People were at each other's throats. They were angry with each other. They were angry about how they'd been treated and what was being said and done toward them and toward their group. Those things were happening. When Jesus died on the cross, his cross put to death the hostility, the enmity. It slew it. In other words, when we become Christians, when we become part of the body of Christ, the hostilities and the enmities that are found in the world around us regarding ethnicity and culture and race, those things are to be put away from us. It's the way God designed the church. It's what the cross accomplished. As you look at the passage, look at what Jesus has done. He came, verse 17, and preached peace to the Jews and the Gentiles. You know, people were scandalized when Jesus went into Gentile regions during his earthly ministry. Think about it. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and look at the places Jesus went. And people looked at Jesus with kind of a suspicious eye because he talks to the Gentiles and he helps them out sometimes. What's all that about? He's our Savior. He's our Redeemer. He's our Messiah. Why is Jesus going to those people over there and talking to those people about salvation? Jesus came and he preached peace to both the Jews and the Gentiles. That's what he came to do. It's his work. And then verse 18, kind of the clincher. Jesus gives us access by one spirit to the Father. Jew, Gentile, black, white, Hispanic, Asian... You name it, ethnicity, culture, Jesus gives all of us access to God by one spirit. Look at verse 18 in your Bible very carefully. It is a Trinitarian passage. What do you mean by that, John? Trinitarian. In verse 18, you see the Father, you see the Son, and you see the Holy Spirit. You know what that means? That means that as the people of God in Katy, Texas in 2021 AD, we are not very close to the heart of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, if peace and unity and reconciliation are not very close to our hearts. We're just not. We're not very close to God's heart if we want to keep alive the hostility and if we want to keep alive the enmity and if we want to keep alive the separation, the division, if that's the way we want to live, we're not doing what God desires us to do and we're not appreciating what Jesus accomplished at the cross. Again, it cannot be overemphasized. Jesus and his work is what made reconciliation and peace and unity possible. 
And if we ever take our emphasis off of Christ and his work, we start to preach a different gospel. A gospel that God never intended for us to preach. It's what Jesus did that matters. And it's what Jesus accomplished that matters. And that needs to be our message and that needs to be our emphasis as the people of God. And I know I'm on safe ground in saying that because that's exactly what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 2 verses 13 through 18. What Jesus did matters when it comes to how I love people around me. Watch this. What Jesus does, if you want to sum all these passages up, he turns foes, enemies, into family. That's what he does. He turns people who are hostile and at odds with each other and don't see things alike and and they have a very different view of the world and very different view of how things ought to be, of what's right and what's wrong. He takes people who are at enmity with each other and turns them into family. How did he do that? He did it by the blood of his cross. He did that when he died for you and me and for all mankind. Sometimes we look at the cross and we think, well, the cross is wonderful because Jesus saved me from my sins and I can have redemption and I can have a relationship with God. It's not just about you by yourself, though. The cross is about who you are and it's also about how you connect with the people around you. That's why this is a concern of the people of God. The work of Christ is what matters here. Now, what's the result of all this? Jesus has come and he's broken down these middle walls of separation and he's taken all this hostility out of the way and Jesus has made peace and he's made both Jew and Gentile to have access to one God through the Spirit. What's the result of all this? There's an amazing, astounding new reality and it's in the church. It's in the church. Look at verse 19 through 22 of Ephesians chapter 2, and there are three pictures, three metaphors for the New Testament church that are described here. And they are amazing in their own right. At the beginning of verse 19, now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints. Reality number one, you are fellow citizens in God's kingdom. Fellow citizens in God's kingdom, equal rights, equal responsibilities, the same law, the same God. When you come to Christ, you find not just peace and reconciliation with God, but with other people, and you become a fellow citizen in his kingdom. That's who we are. You ask the question, what's the church at Katy all about? What are these people trying to do? We are fellow citizens in the kingdom of God. We have a law that we want to follow because we have a king that we want to obey. We are servants and slaves of that one God, and we want to help other people to know what we've found. Citizenship. Your citizenship is in heaven, Philippians 3 verse 20. But not only that, the metaphor continues. There's another one. Look again at verse 19. You are family members in God's household. In verse 19 it says, you are members of the household of God. So not only are we citizens of a heavenly country, but we are family members. You know, one of the things that is tough for people, always has been, getting along with family. Do you always get along with your family that you live with, your extended family? You always see eye to eye with them. But you love them, don't you? 
You, you, you love them and you want what's best for them. Even though we don't always agree and even though we do things that are hurtful toward one another in our families and even though all those things happen, we still love each other and we still, if our hearts are right, we still want to bless our families and we still want our families to be God-honoring. The church is one big family according to Scripture. We are family members in God's household because we participated in the new birth. The blood of Jesus has made us cleansed, clean before God, and we are reconciled to one another as family members. This is one of the things that the world has missed. When we talk about racism and race relations, this is one of the things the world has really missed. Familyhood, citizenship, Those things are attached to what Jesus has done at the cross. Jesus is the only way to reconciliation because he's the only one that can make us family. Only in Christ can I look at a man who is ethnically different than me and say, with all sincerity and with substance behind what I'm saying, you are my brother. Only in Christ can that happen. Only in Christ can two women from different countries that speak different languages look at each other and say, we are family, we are sisters. Only in Christ can that happen. With substance, because the cross makes it real. It makes it genuine. The third metaphor is this. You are necessary, you are needed bricks in God's holy temple. What is the church? It's a kingdom, verse 19. It's a family, verse 19. It's a temple, verses 20 through 22. And this temple is unique, and it's the most extended of the three metaphors because it talks about how it's got a foundation of the the apostles and prophets and how Jesus is the chief cornerstone. It talks about how the whole building is fitted together and it grows into a holy temple in the Lord, verse 21. In Jesus, you also, it says in verse 22, are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. The world doesn't talk about the church because the world thinks the church is worthless, it's a pastime, it's useless. I'm telling you, the Bible's telling you, the church is the only place where the problems that the world faces are dealt with in a rational, helpful, reasonable, godly way. Church is the only place where that happens. You can badmouth the church and you can say the church doesn't matter and you can say it's irrelevant, but you are wrong, dramatically so. Because on the day of judgment, it will be seen and it will be vindicated. The church is the apple of God's eye, always has been. And the church is where foes, people who are estranged and at odds and don't see eye to eye and have different political views and different ideas about how the world ought to work, It's where those people who are foes become family. They become citizens. They become bricks in the same building. That's what the church is. If you were to ask me, if you think, Brother John, the the Lord allows the world to stand for another 10 years, what do you think are the big issues that the Katy congregation is going to face in the next 10 years? I would put number one on my list. This is just me, my opinion. Number one on my list. It's this question. Is our congregational ethnic makeup and cultural makeup, is it going to reflect the community in which we live over the next 10 years? 
Because you walk around and you go to the grocery store and you look at the community around us and you ask the question, does the church where I worship look like the community? And why is that important? It's not important because we're trying to fill some kind of quota or we're kind of trying to get some demographic level, anything like that. It's important because if we're really taking the gospel to the people that are right next to us, if we're really teaching people that are right around us, not everybody that is converted to Christ is going to look like me, like you. Over the next 10 years, as a congregation, do we have the vision that Paul speaks about in Ephesians chapter 2? Is this something that is at our heart? Because it's at God's heart. Jews and Gentiles living together, calling each other brother and sister, reconciled at peace. I'd like to make three suggestions as a congregation of what we need to do. Philippian jailer asked, what must I do to be saved? What must we do? Ephesians 4, verse 3. Ephesians 4, verse 3, by the way, tells us, God's already set this plan. God's already made this blueprint. God's already said, Jew and Gentile reconciliation in one body through Christ by means of the cross. That was God's plan. That's God's will. That's what God wants you to do. That's the vision. That's the ideal. That's what I've just spent the last few minutes talking about. That's the vision. What must we do? What God says is, your job is, church, your job is to make the vision a reality in your time, in your place, where you live. What must we do when it comes to racism and race reconciliation and those kinds of issues? Number one, every single one of us, I don't care what color your skin is, every single one of us needs to be sensitive and understanding toward others. Because there are some things that have happened in our country's past that were wrong. And there are some things that have happened in the past in the Lord's church that were wrong. And there are some things that you and I have done in our past regarding race and race, race relations that are wrong. And there are some things that are very deeply felt and very deeply hurtful to a number of our brethren and we need to be sensitive about that, and we need to be understanding, and we need to practice patience with one another. James chapter 1, verse 19, let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. I realize because you've been inundated with these kinds of issues in the news and, and in culture over the last long period of time, I realize you have formed opinions I realize you have convictions about what I'm talking about tonight. What I'm saying is, if we're going to exemplify what it means to be the temple of God and the family of God and citizens in God's kingdom, if we are going to be that, we're going to have to practice patience because I'm not always going to see things the way you do. And you're not always going to feel about things the way I do. And there has to be some understanding. It's love. Love is patient, isn't it? 1 Corinthians 13 verse 4. What must we do? Number two, we are as people here in Katy, we're going to have to be willing to get out of our personal comfort zones. You have people that you are comfortable being around. You have people that look like you and think like you and they're your friends and that's natural, that's normal, that's the way the world works. But Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 verses 46 and 47, talking about enemies, he said, if you only love the people who look like you and think like you, what do you more than others? Don't the Gentiles do the same? 
my ability to get out of my comfort zone and love people and be kind to people and build relationships and bridges with people that are different, that ability needs to be developed in every single one of us if Ephesians 2, 11 through 22 is going to be real in the church at Katy. has to. It's an uncomfortable thing. You might have to eat some food that, you know what, I'm not really sure what this is. You might have to go and be around people and feel like an outsider because you know what, you are. You're different. Getting out of our comfort zones is important because we love the Lord, because we respect what the Lord did. It's important. Number three, what must we do? We must, we must, we have no option. We must proclaim the greatness and the finished work of Christ at the cross. I am the way, he said. He's not just talking about salvation. I am the way. If we're going to find solutions to the problems that plague our society and that plague our own lives, Jesus is the way. He said, no one comes to the Father but by me. I would amend that with respect to the Lord, with respect to what's being said in Ephesians 2. No one finds hope and harmony and peace and reconciliation but by me. I believe that's what Jesus intends for us to understand based on the passage in Ephesians. The world's talking about these things. There is something wrong. There are some things that need to be corrected. There are some problems that our society faces and they need to be dealt with. I want to show you a distinction as we close. God offers, as you read Ephesians 2, clear solutions. Clear solutions. Sometimes people hear a lesson like this and they say, Brother John, I understand what you're saying, but there are systemic problems in our society. There are things that are ingrained in, in, in all kinds of institutions and in all kinds of organizations, and they've just always been there, and we're talking about fixing the systemic problems. I believe God's Word teaches this. What's wrong with any group is basically the sum total of what's wrong with the people that make up that group. Does that sound logical? What's wrong with my family? What's wrong with my family is basically the sum total of what's wrong with the people that make up my family. What's wrong with the church? What's wrong with the church is basically the sum total of what's wrong with the people that make up the church. What's wrong with the world? What's wrong with the world is the sum total of what's wrong with the people that live in this world. And what God does is he deals with us on an individual level. And he commands us to come to Christ and be humble and submissive. And then he demands that we look across the aisle at someone who was different than us. At someone who was estranged and we had hostility toward. He demands that we love that person. And one person at a time, one heart at a time, that's God's solution to the sins that plague every society in every time. God offers clear solutions. God offers forgiveness. Your sins and iniquities I will remember no more. It's a little frightening to think that there are people who go around and dig up emails and tweets and things like that that people have made years ago. 
places they've gone years ago and they hold that up and they say this defines this person this is who this person is this is what they're all about this is how they really feel I understand the need for justice my question is this where is forgiveness in all of that conversation where is forgiveness because God offers forgiveness and if God has forgiven me I need to be willing to forgive you Next, God offers a basis for forgiving others. Because of what Jesus did at the cross, I can put away the hostility and the enmity that is so prevalent in the society in which I live. God gives me a basis for doing that. The Bible teaches that God offers hope and reconciliation. Hope and reconciliation. Is that what you want? Do you want hope and peace and reconciliation? Do you want people to live like family? Do you want people to love each other and to live in harmony with one another? That's what God offers. I would suggest to you kindly, and you think about this, and if you've got some thoughts or questions on this, I'd love to talk to you more about this. I would kindly suggest that the world offers none of these things. The world is not offering clear solutions. It's not offering forgiveness. It's certainly not offering any kind of basis for forgiving others. And it's certainly not offering hope and reconciliation when it comes to race relations and race matters. It's not offering those things. God does. If God offers those things, that's what I want to be a part of. I believe that's what you want to be a part of as well. And I want you to understand, as I talk tonight... What you read in Ephesians 2, verses 11 through 22, is the ideal. It's God's vision. It's what Jesus accomplished, and it must be appreciated by us. And it's hard work. It's a lot of hard work. It requires our understanding and our patience and our kindness, and it requires a wholehearted devotion to Christ. And it requires that we love our neighbor as ourselves. God offers all this exclusively through Jesus Christ. We need to hear lessons like this from time to time. Because what's happening all around us is so different in some ways than what picture the Bible paints. At the same time, we need to appreciate and be sensitive. Because many, many people are deeply affected by these things. And we want to love them, and we want to show them what Jesus did at the cross. We need, as God's people more than ever before, to study the cross, to talk about the cross, and not just talk about it in terms of our personal salvation, but talk about it in terms of the reconciliation that it offers the world. Thanks for listening this evening. Maybe you need to come to Christ this evening. There's no better decision than, you could, than, than that that you could make. If you want to obey the gospel, put on Christ, the way that you do that is through faith in him, confession of his name, repentance of your sin, and baptism for the remission of sins. If you need to respond and ask for prayers, if you want to be baptized, whatever your need, won't you come while together we stand and while we sing.